This is Steven Winsenberg, and one of my favorite guys in the whole world is with us. His name is Chris Kresge, and Chris uh, is the editorial director for MTV. That means you're kind of the head writer, isn't that right, Chris? Yeah, it's just a fancier way of saying head writer. It gets me an extra week of vacation. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> we need to talk about uh, the last two books that you've done, and those are William Shatner's autobiographies, basically, Star Trek Memories and Movie Memories. And you actually wrote the bulk of these books, isn't that right? Well, we do it together. Um, he gets more involved, actually, than most most. Most times when you see an autobiography of somebody that says with somebody else, right. the somebody else did the whole thing. Um, Shatner actually got pretty well involved. Um, he, in fact, he was at least there for most of the interviews. A lot of them he did himself. Um, um, but one of the things we talked about very early on was that, you know, these people, the Leonard Nimoy's of the world and, and uh, you know, the Farce Kellys and, and all these guys and the guys that made the movies and wrote the movies would sort of be a lot more open with him than they would be just talking to me over the phone or, right. you know, if I was the corner, I might get the same the same five stories that they tell everybody. Um, so, I mean, we have, he sat down and we sat down um, and we have just thousands and thousands and thousands of transcribed pages from like, must oh. be 30 different people now that we've spoken to between the two books. Um, and it really makes a big difference having him in the room. Um, and then when it comes time to write it, we generally walk, what I'll generally do is um, I'll go out force him to like cancel everything for like two days mm -hmm. and we'll we'll sort of make a very rough outline of the book what goes where who says what where you know um you know what's too awful to put in the book what's not too awful to put in the book now and from then, from hearing about his ego i assume that he has final say on everything he has final say but you know what's funny it's like i kept i had heard about the ego like forever and and, and the first time i met him um from the first time I met him, I, it, I have never really had a problem with him in terms of that. I was, I expected to. I expected him to be kind of this big, old school, you know, Hollywood Star, pompous kind of right. guy. And uh, I actually met him. I was at the beach, and I got a call like nine o'clock in the morning one morning, um, asking if I could come have lunch with him because he had to come into New York at the last minute. And uh, so I had like shorts and a Hawaiian hmm. shirt to pick from, <laughs> <laughs> and like flip flops on. I'm like, I gotta come dressed like this. I have nothing else. Hmm. So um, they're like, okay, come on. So I drive up. It's pouring rain. I end up being like 45 minutes late. So I'm like horrified. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, I'm dressed like an idiot. And um, I'm like 45 minutes late. And I'm expecting the worst. And I come in. He's at Planet Hollywood doing something, handing over some, some special effect thing to the restaurant. So I come in and uh, I, I, I come running back. They have these little, these little glass tiled rooms where they put familiar people so they're not like bothered while they're eating. Um, and he's in one of those, and I go, and I, the, the door guy lets me in, and I come running in, I'm soaking wet, and I'm dressed like a clown, and, uh, he's like, he's like, you know, nice to meet you, hi, and I, and I, I sit down, and we're just starting to talk, and food starts coming in, and I'm like, oh, geez, I'm so late that they ordered, you know, already without me, um, and Jenny goes, no, no, wait, that's not, that's not our food, um, we didn't even order yet, and those, there's three waitresses, and they all sort of get together, and, and they, go, it takes them a second, and they go, oh, we brought you the wrong... This is actually for um, the next... I can't tell you whose food it is. It's for a very famous Hollywood producer who was in the next booth and every, that everyone in Hollywood hates. Um, and they leave the food. They say, we'll be back in one second. We're just going to... We'll, we'll, we'll put it all back together. We'll take it over. They leave to go do that, at which point Shatner immediately um, comes up with the idea that we should lick our fingers and touch this guy's food before he gets it. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, immediately I felt so much better about the guy, you know? So he was like a little kid almost. And he's, like, giggling. We're sitting there licking our fingers, and he's like, hee hee But that's the opposite of everything I've heard about that's the guy. exactly what I was thinking. Everybody says he is about the biggest, I'm sorry to say this, but about oh, no, the biggest, I I, biggest jerk in Hollywood. Yep. That's what I, I mean, and you hear the horror stories, and uh, I, 
I, certainly I never worked with him on a movie set. Actually, I've been with him on movie sets, and he was fine there, too. But uh, I've never had any problem with him. I, I liked him so much more than I expected to. I couldn't, hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't believe him. You know, you, you'd, and, and then, you know, you, you'd go to his house, and he'll show up in these ratty old sweats with bare feet, you know, and there's like six dogs laying around the house. It's not anything like what I expected. One of the things I liked about what you did in the books is you, and I assume this is you, you helped him kind of make fun of himself yeah. in the books. Yeah. See, because it, I, I, he's sort of like, his perspective on all this stuff is from the complete opposite side of everybody else. So there are things that are just, just funny, you know, um, that he knows of and he's heard of. And if you point them out to him, he can really, he'll, he'll have a good laugh at him. You can show him where he's overacted or you can, yeah. you can, you know, you can show him the, uh, the blooper reels and he'll sit there and laugh at him. You know, so it, it's like, he was fine with it. It sort of was instigated by me. Um, and then he really kind of liked the idea of, of sort of deflating some of his own balloons. You know? What kind of reaction did fans have to that? Did they, did they go for that? Most people really liked it, yeah. Um, I think, I think Star Trek fans are so used to the, like, the carefully groomed sort of public relations approved sort of version of everything that just to have this sort of candid sort of casual conversational tone um, was something they really uh, appreciated. Yeah. It was really the first time anyone had been less than you know, reverential toward the show. Now you know, you, it was always the greatest show of all time, yeah. and everybody was a genius, and every show was brilliant, and we were sort of the first people that sort of said... You know, no, like a third of them are just yeah. really stupid. But many of the people involved in the show have heavily criticized yeah. uh, Shatner's books. Yeah. And I, I got this out of Time magazine. He was on the cover of Time in November. Yep. And Gene Roddenberry's wife. Majel. Here, yeah. Here's what she says. The only thing that surprises me about Bill Shatner's first book is that he managed to get it in the nonfiction category. Right. <laughs> right. Is, she says you know. he took too much credit for a lot of things that happened at Star Trek. But Shatner, and really in the book, when I read it, it does sound like he's taking some credit for some of the creative decisions that were made, and, and some of the people involved are saying, no, he really didn't have that much. Well, well Majel, first of all, it's a great soundbite, but I actually checked it out. Majel hasn't read the, either one of the books. Um, <laughs> verifiably hasn't read either one of the books. Um, so it's a great soundbite, but you know, it would be nice if she did her homework before she talked. Um, he does take credit for stuff. Um, and from my perspective, I don't know if it's all true. It's funny because a couple of times things he took credit for, other people also took credit for, and we mm -hmm. sort of went to we took pains to sort of say that you know, Leonard too says that this was his idea. Right. You know, um, he both he and Leonard actually had uh, creative. Uh, what's that word? Um, they had like it, you know they nothing could happen unless they approved. It. Oh, yeah. They had line approval or script approval. So a lot of times when something wasn't great, they would sort of be the catalyst towards getting it towards what they wanted. Oh, and you have some great stories in the book of how they, you know, threw fits and... Yeah. yeah. yeah that's the kind of stuff, that's the kind of stuff that having Shatner in the room gets yeah. you. Tell you us about I mean? uh, the interracial kiss, I think, is one of my favorite stories. Oh, yeah. Well, that was, uh, well, originally it was written in for, uh, originally it was written for Uhura and Kirk, and then it was softened uh, by somebody, we don't know who, probably Roddenberry, we're not, we're not sure, to uh, be Uhura and Spock with this sort of twisted logic that you know since Spock was an alien it wasn't right. quite as bad yeah. <laughs> of course it's the same actor um, and uh, and then Shatner fought for it and fought to get it back to Kirk um, they went to shoot it and apparently while they were shooting it there was like three or four guys in suits were there and uh, at one point they cut I mean they had a great time doing it apparently uh, and at one point the, they, they broke and uh, tried to um tried to change the whole thing at the last minute the, the network 
and the studio right. were very nervous about it. They actually it. shot two versions of it. They shot two versions, and uh, and I keep checking back. Uh, Nichelle Nichols, even in her book, keeps swearing that the actual kiss is on the air. And you can look at the tape a million times. Their lips never actually make right. contact. Right. They shot it both ways, with the kiss and where their lips actually never meet. Um and to be honest with you, on the air they don't actually meet. So yeah. it's sort of a myth that that, that the but they're still saying the first interracial well, kiss. They they shot the first interracial kiss. <laughs> yeah, they shot it somewhere. There exists a piece of footage. Now you mentioned Michelle Nichols' book, and and boy, I've heard interviews with her where she just slams Shatner yeah. all over the place for yeah. his book. It's a strange. It's a strange thing. It's. It, I mean, I'm. I don't know exactly where, what to believe and what not to believe. The one thing that has become absolutely clear is that she and. Um, George Takei, who also had a book out, and uh, Jimmy Doohan, who are sort of the the most vocal um, Shatner critics, sort of do a lot of um, they sort of sort of puff up their own role on the show as much right. as they can. And I and and for some somehow they've come to the conclusion that that Shatner's behind the fact that they were never featured more in the show, hmm. which you know I can't absolutely say didn't happen. I can't imagine it did though. No. You know, for the most part, these are people who showed up one day a week, said four or five lines, and went home till next week. Well, this isn't, know? yeah, this isn't a happy cast. As you read these no, Star Trek memories, and, and uh, the three, the three names that I just said are sort of the most, the most unhappy. Which is so amazing because of any show in in modern history, this is the group that continues to reunite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, for example, I mean, on the seventh movie, um, Nichelle is absolutely convinced that that the reason she's not in this seventh, the seventh generation she's not in this movie is because Shatner didn't want her in it which is like hmm. <laughs> has so little to do with reality that uh, you know it's laughable Yeah, but what? still that kind of that, that's what they think is there going to be some people listening today who say I don't care I don't care about Star Trek and to be honest with you I don't think I've ever seen more than one episode of Star Trek yeah you know what when I started when we signed the contract to do this book I, I guess I can say this now I have never seen an episode <laughs> <laughs> I faked my way through it so well I was like, yeah, Klingons, and like, you know, those, they were bad, yeah. Maybe that's why I enjoyed the book. I loved the books. Yeah, well then, you know what I did? I started watching like five a day for months at yeah. a time. Two in the morning before work and three when I got home. Um, there's only 79 of them. So, so what's said, the big deal? Why in the world has this thing lived for 30 years? I think it's more, I think it's the characters. Um, Shatner tends to, to put it up there with like uh, this whole like fairy tale sort of um, structure, but I think it's really the characters. And they're all such, uh, my wife's a psychologist, and she tends to think that it's sort of every character on the show is so needy you know they're all these super competent people but you know somewhere you scratch the surface and they've got to be these thoroughly unhappy people and yeah. so this kind you know there's just something about uh, uh there's something very compelling about the characters and there's certainly the chemistry between kirk and spock and and bones sort of yeah. sort of rose well and the whole cast on the screen they look like a family even yeah. though even though off the screen it was the opposite yeah right um and an intellectual and it was pretty much family. like that from day one, too, yeah. which is surprising. Which surprised me, anyway. Talking with Chris Kresge, the co-author of William Shatner's Star Trek Memories and Star Trek Movie Memories. And uh, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about Captain Kirk, who was actually born in Iowa. You remember that, Chris? Yep, Riverside, Iowa. Yep, March 22nd, 2233. <laughs> wow, well, you're, you're a Trek nerd, too, eh? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't have, you don't have plastic ears on now, dude. <laughs> These headphones kind of look like them. There are rumors that uh, Patrick Stewart of The Next Generation and Bill Shatner had some animosity between them. Is, is uh, yeah, that's completely false. I was actually there um, when they shot all their scenes together um, in June. Um, which was really weird um, because we would like they would break because um, we we were I was basically there to interview Patrick for this this book it was like last minute stuff that we were trying to squeeze in 
we wrote the whole book. They were starting to, to typeset it and get the printing press ready while we were still doing like the last 40 pages. Yeah. So I went out in June and uh, they would break and we would go to lunch and I would sit there at this table with, with, uh, with Shatner and Patrick Stewart, both in their captain's uniforms. Hmm. And it was just this completely surreal thing. Um, and people would pay. But they know. They, in fact, the, 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 the opposite is true. They really like each other. Do these guys see this as being a big money-making machine for themselves, too? I mean, at some point, beyond just being a character that they play, they actually see this as being a way they can milk it. Uh, yeah, they both, they've both sort of they've taken advantage of the... Uh, well, the feeling I've gotten from Shatner, just in seeing him and things, is if, if he wasn't getting paid the big bucks, he wouldn't be doing this. I mean, he doesn't care that much about it. Um, yes, it, well... He's certainly out to get as much as he can for doing it, but uh, in fact, he held out on this last movie, um, especially once he knew what the storyline was going to be and got and got a big sum of money for a little amount of time on camera. Um, but especially, and at least in Shatner's case, I don't know Patrick Stewart well enough. Although I would think it'd be the same for him too. They sort of seem to um, not. They certainly wouldn't accept um, a script or a storyline that they didn't think was yeah. at least you know okay. Did he really, did Bill Shatner really at some point uh, tell Star Trek followers to get a life? No. That was just on the Saturday Night Live episode that he hosted um, about five years ago, um, which was which is just like, it's like the funniest scene they've done in the last ten years. But that's really what we remember him saying. I mean, yeah, I, right. It's what, to me, what everybody remembers. And if you've ever gone to a convention, he's, you know, somebody certainly should stand up there at the podium and yell at Yeah. And wasn't that one of the ideas for one of the titles of the book, too? Yeah, we originally wanted to call it Get a Life, but, you know, the first book, we wanted to call it Get a Life, and uh, the publisher wouldn't. Roddenberry, in the books, uh, I'd say gets credit, but at some point, uh, his role diminished. Sure. And depending on who you talk to, um, how much the role diminished and how quickly it diminished, you know, varies a lot. But, um, like I said, we must, we've probably talked to 30, 40 people now um, at, at length, and it seems that... Um, in the, I mean, certainly the idea was his. Certainly, the first thirteen episodes, first whole season, really, first thirteen episodes were written pretty much by him, or or extensively rewritten by him. Um, whole whole rest of the first season was pretty much coming from his ideas. And um, as of season two, um, he was he stepped took like one step back, and uh, Gene Kuhn um, sort of took over the reins and, and changes. Because of that, certain changes came up. They was shows got funnier. This guy has, had this anecdote about how he came into Gene's office, and he was talking to Gene, and Gene kind of looked nervous, and he was kind of white and sweating, um, and, and didn't seem to be paying much attention to what he was saying. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the conversation, um, he hears he hears giggling from behind the curtain. At which point, Nichelle Nichols, just in Gene's sweater, comes out from behind the curtain, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, wasn't that a funny practical joke?" And we're like, "Well, it's kind of a yeah. weird practical joke." And then yeah. you know, finally, we can put joke, two and two together, right. and the story changes a little bit. You know, um, uh, but yeah, there was certainly that. Did you talk with Roddenberry's wife? Yeah, we did on the first book. Um, and her sort of version of uh, events that have passed is sort of far, 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 far different than most everybody else's. So we didn't particularly talk much with her on the, on the second one. Hmm. And she was, just, just, you know, she was an actress too, right? She was involved in some of the episodes. Some of them, yeah. yeah. A minor character called uh, Nurse Chapel. She's in about, I guess, 8, 10, 12 episodes. Now, uh, this was the se- the worst kept secret in the world was that Captain Kirk dies in yeah. uh, Star Trek Generations yeah. movie, uh, and then uh, for some reason apparently they had to go reshoot the mm-hmm. ending. Oh, I can tell you exactly what they reshot. Oh, good. <laughs> well, I was there. I was there in June when they shot it the first time, as it was originally scripted. Um, Captain Kirk comes in, has this big fight with the bad guy, Doctor Soren, 
Um, in, at which point, Dr. Zorn drops the, the, the thing that runs this thing that's going to let the Nexus blow up the world. Um, Patrick Stewart runs over, picks it up, and goes and saves the world. Um, and at the, just about the same time, Soren picks up his, his phaser and shoots Kirk in the back. Kirk dies, and they bury him. Mm-hmm. It was sort of very non... It wasn't that big a deal. Right. Apparently, Paramount held test screenings, and people liked the movie, didn't like the ending. They didn't so much... They didn't like that Kirk died, but they just certainly didn't like at all the way he died. So they went back and sort of made made Kirk's ending a little more heroic. You know, he, now there's like, he runs out on the bridge, and the bridge is falling, and he's got to save the thing and give himself up to save the world and yeah. 200 million people, you know, primitive people on this planet that's about to explode. Is he really dead? I, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Come on. There are... There Come are, on. He's probably dead. Realistically, <laughs> he's probably dead because they probably don't want to pay him to be in another movie. However, there there are a couple of escape valves that are sort of worked into the story. Well, yeah, and, the way they work this, the time traveling and all that. I mean, he could be in in any of the future movies yeah, too. Yeah, there are a couple of there are a couple of fairly obvious ways that they could go back and get him. Once they're not really all that hidden. They don't they they purposely glance over them, so you don't really notice them too much. But if you stop and think about it, there's a couple of ways they could go back and get him. Are they going to? Uh, like uh, I think realistically, no, because he would cost too much. You know what I mean? And does he? He has no desire to do anymore. I think he would love to. You know, he was really. It was funny because about about this time last year, I was out um, with him, and I was surprised by how cavalier he was about di- the character dying. He's like, yeah, you know, they pay me check. It's a good story. Finally, he was working on the story at that point with them. You know, and I like the way the story's going, so it'll be okay. And then I was out in L.A. working on the MTV Movie Awards um, in June. I wasn't gonna go out and watch them, watch him them shoot the scenes where he dies and i got this phone call one night and it's shatner and he's like you know can you come out this is really starting to weird me out hmm. you know finally at the last minute here it's really starting to get to me and i think we should probably you know get some stuff on tape here um while i'm here doing this so i flew out it was only like an hour they were just outside of las vegas in the desert there hmm. and uh, at that point it was like a whole he had flip-flopped like 180 degrees i think he had like sort of talked himself into thinking he'd be okay about it and then at the last minute it really started sort of hmm. backed up on him was he a ladies man uh, 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 <laughs> from uh, let's see. From what Wait, I gotta say. consult the magic eight ball. <laughs> all signs point to yes. Well, that's uh, the magic eight ball talking. Not I mean, are there's obviously there were stories, right? There's a few, yeah. Not none that he 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 thought were interesting enough to make public. <laughs> Wait till the next commercial. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and my question is, when he when he dies, are these things going to come out now? That I don't know. I don't know. It's funny because I think... Um, they had a lot of good female actresses on that original series. I mean, Joan Collins Tom. was on all yeah. sorts of good actresses. Um, yeah, well, and all sorts of scandally clad actresses. Right. Um, but I don't know. I'm not sure, to be honest with you. He's a very... Uh, he's sort of a very private person on that. His personal life is very is very private it's like pulling teeth to get yes. him to, to talk finally in the second book I got him to open up a little more than I did in the first one well, let me, but, let's, uh, let's talk then since we don't want to answer that question let's talk about the unmentionable the other night on CNN they had a tape of William Shatner being interviewed by a radio station in Tampa, Florida and the, oh, D, yeah, yeah. the DJ at the Tampa station asked him point blank does he wear a hairpiece or a wig and he point blank said no, and then he started ripping the guy to shreds verbally. <laughs> I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, he, I know. I've heard about it. I haven't heard the tape yet, and I haven't spoken to him since since it happened. And I certainly don't want to have him rip you to shreds. Oh, no, but, no, no. I don't know, to be honest with you. It's the one thing that I've never really brought up. Um, I should ask, because he's been okay about other stuff. He was fine about talking about, um, you know, he was, he was 
free he freely admitted how Kirk would you know get chubby during the series, uh, and how he you know perhaps he overacts a bit every once in a while, um, which we put in the book too. Uh, that is the one area though that I think I was just a little too like nervous to bring up. Um, the 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 answer he usually gives when people ask him that question uh, at a convention or whatever is uh, people in this business do as lo- do as much as they can to look as good as they can for as long as they can. So I mean I don't know. If, right. if you want to use that as a real answer or not. But that's the one thing you still haven't talked about. That's the one about. thing I don't know for sure. Yeah. And speaking of what he looks like, when he was on Letterman the other night, he, he didn't look too good. <laughs> well, it's funny, too, though, because he was in great shape um, right throughout the shooting of this movie. And the uh, and uh, through when it came out, I saw him, I guess, end of November. He was in town for a few days, and I, and I, and I hung around with him for a while. Um, and he was in really good shape still. That and I, we were talking before we went on. That started when uh, he was talking about on Letterman uh, the other night about this horse falling on him at a yeah. horse show, and that's what started it. He was apparently not in great shape then. This horse reared up and fell on him and tore like all the muscles in his one leg. Uh, somebody drove up on a golf cart and scared the horse. It, re- it reared up and fell on him. Hmm. Um, and he ended up having to do all this physical therapy stuff to get the leg working again. And at the end of which he was in pretty good shape because they really worked him fairly hard. And at almost exactly that time, he was signed to be in this new Star Trek Generations. Um, so he figured, you know, okay, I'll keep up the torture for another six months. So by the time, you know, through May and June of 94, he was in great shape. Yeah. He looked, I mean, he was back to, you know, Star Trek two level yeah. shape, you know? But it fluctuates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go to the phone lines for Chris Kresge, the co-author of William Shatner's Star Trek Movie Memories. And Dwayne, you have some questions. Go ahead. Uh, yes, good morning. Uh, Hi. My, my first question is, um, I remember a couple of episodes, I think, of the uh, Twilight Zone mm-hmm. that Bill Shatner starred in. One, I remember, had a devil's head on top of a jukebox. Yeah, it was a fortune teller kind of thing. Yeah, and then I, he also did one that they redid in the movie. Uh, right, the, the terror at 20,000 feet. Yeah. You know, uh, it's funny, I, well, go ahead. His, his range seemed to be very, very wide in those pieces, and I'm wondering if he felt that maybe his role as Captain Kirk might have shortchanged his, or maybe stymied somewhat his, his growth as an actor. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's funny, because we I was talking to Steve a little bit about that during the commercial, almost. Um, he was, right before Star Trek, he was just starting to uh, come into his own um, as an actor. He was starting to work a lot. He was on Broadway in something called The World of Susie Wong, which was apparently a mm-hmm. hit, although mm-hmm. I never heard of it. And uh, he had been in, he was actually in Judgment at Nuremberg, mm. you know, so he was getting, like, real film roles and stuff. Um, however, his bank account, because according to him, his bank account was still low, and with three kids, he was looking for a way to make a little, like, like make some more money. Um, and when Star Trek came along, when they offered it to him, um, he took it pretty much to try and get ahead monetarily. Um, but who knows what would have happened, you know, otherwise. He could have, you know, gone on to bigger and better things. He could have, you know, mm-hmm. have done nothing, you know. Right. The second point that I wanted to ask about, and I appreciate the time, is um, I, I, if memory serves me correct, he wasn't the original choice as nope. Captain Kirk. Nope. He uh, was actually the fourth choice, I believe. Okay. Do you, do you think um, anyone else could have could have pulled it off? Well, I've seen, if you, if you ever see, there's a pilot that exists. The Menagerie. Which, uh, yeah, yeah, with Jeffrey Hunter. Yeah. Um, it was kind of, I don't know, I thought it was kind of weird, kind of lame in comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, they got rid of him basically because his wife was his agent and she kept insisting on him owning a part of the show and, and Roddenberry wouldn't give it up. Now, who are the other guys that almost Second, got the part? It's funny because they're both recognizable. Second was Lloyd Bridges, who said no. And mm-hmm. third was Jack Lord, who said yes, mm-hmm. if you give me 50% of everything that the series ever earned. And so they said no to him. At that point, they called Chatner. Okay. I appreciate your time. Yeah. Sure. Thanks for calling, Dwayne. I, I can't see Bookham. I know. <laughs> and Bookham he's from Spock. Hawaii. Five. Oh, yeah, Bookham Spock. <laughs> well, it's, uh, you do a great job writing as well. Uh, the book is called Star Trek Movie Memories, co-written by Chris Kresge. Uh, thanks for being with us.